You're listening to the Raptors Rapture Podcast. So it looks like the Raptors' luck is turning back towards them. This is the Raptors Rapture Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Surplus. Thank you so much for listening. As always, always remember to rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. You can check us out, raptorsrapture.com. Once again, back-to-back weeks, my guest on the show is Lior Kozai, a contributor, writer for Raptors Rapture. Lior, my man, how's it going? Good, how's it going? Fantastic, fantastic. You were telling me before you're waiting for the football games to start, uh, so hopefully we'll be able to get this one over quickly. Um, (laughs) So this week, uh, not exactly, we mentioned it last week on the episode, not a whole lot going on in terms of games for the Toronto Raptors. Just two, one against the Portland Trailblazers and then against the Charlotte Hornets, and they they were sandwiched right in the middle of bunch of days off so tuesday wednesday they played they had thursday friday and saturday off then they play again on sunday the toronto raptors right now sit fourth in the nba's eastern conference same thing as last week behind the boston celtics behind the miami heat and behind the milwaukee bucks but ahead of the philadelphia 76ers and the indiana pacers and everyone after that doesn't really matter all that much i must say still (laughs) Really good defense, second in the NBA. Not a great offense, 17th. But like I said, guys are injured. However, Norman Powell, I got a notification on my phone today from my basketball fantasy league that Norman Powell, his his uh, game time decision was turned into a healthy and is looking to play tonight. So it looks like he is going to be back. Pascal Siakam, we've heard good news from him. He is going to be practicing this week and hopefully will be making a, a return sometime in the near future. And Marcus Saul is looking to be coming back at some point in the near future as well. So like I said at the top, the luck might actually be turning in the Raptors' favor. Lior, how big is that for the Raptors, who have been able to stay afloat amid all these injury issues? Um, I'm not a big superhero guy, but you know that scene <laughs> in like the Avengers where like they're gathering all the people... And like they get like all the all the different superheroes together, and it's like one at a time. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. That's <laughs> what it feels like right now for the Raptors. You got Powell coming back, Siakam, and then it seems like a soul's maybe like a week and a half or two weeks away. But if if you get all those players healthy with already these role players, these bench guys playing well, um, looking a lot more confident. Like even we talk about a guy like McCaw, who's like. He was really struggling when everyone else was healthy. Um, if those guys can keep that confidence that they've gained now from getting more consistent minutes, that would be huge to have now your more talented starters back, but then also have these bench guys who can contribute. So um, really looking up for the Raptors. Yeah, and they're now in a really easy part of the schedule as well so hopefully getting these guys back in and back on a roll with one another and kind of back into the the zone that we saw them at the end of last year and the beginning of this year when you know the two games they were actually all healthy but I looked at um, powerrankingsguru.com and they do a strength of schedule for the teams and and up until this point the Raptors strength of schedule has been the 10th hardest in the NBA and going forward throughout the rest of the season it's the 30th hardest the 30th hardest, the 30th hardest, sorry, Jesus. Um, So as you can, I mean, as you can guess, they're going to be playing a lot of rat teams. This 
week especially is going to kind of when it starts. They've got San Antonio on Sunday, then Wednesday they've got OKC, but after that it's Washington, Minnesota, Atlanta. Then they're going to have a depleted Sixers, then the Knicks, the Spurs again, Hawks, Cavs, Pistons, Bulls. Those are some good games that you want to see guys coming back into the lineup and getting back into their rhythm because like if Pascal Siakam comes back in a game against the Atlanta Hawks, he could drop 50 points in his first game back with a with a bad leg or a, a bad, you know, any of these guys could <laughs> really I do that. I think I could drop. I think <laughs> I could drop 50 points against the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, I've seen your jump shot on Twitter. You know, it's it's possible. <laughs> it's possible. Um, I think you just. Uh, <laughs> I think you just need to be able to put the ball in the basket. I think I yeah. think a lot of us could. Um, uh, but yeah, like you said, um, really softer part of their schedule coming up um and like it's pretty amazing that they've kind of endured um like the harder part of the schedule despite the injuries i think after the charlotte game i think the raptors would be 20 and 1 against teams under 500 which is incredible obviously um only the lakers are undefeated against teams under 500 and the only loss they've had is that loss in Portland uh, against Portland on Tuesday, which was a two-point loss. So um, taking care of business against the bad teams is like a big thing for becoming a good team, right? Yeah, and you mentioned that success against the bad teams in the in the league and especially in the Eastern Conference when you do have so many of those bad teams. Like I mentioned, the Bulls, the Hawks, Pistons aren't very good at all. Um they haven't really been able to take care of business on the the good teams in the league. Uh, the Bucks, the Sixers, uh, they've had notable losses to them. The Celtics, the Heat, they've lost to pretty much every good team in the league or in the Eastern Conference and as well as the Western Conference in the Lakers and the, uh, the Clippers there. But how important is it that this team has stayed afloat throughout these injuries? And is, the second part of this question, is a, an addition of Pascal Siakam I know he hasn't been out for the whole season, but is that addition about as good as it gets for one of the teams in this Eastern Conference at the trade deadline kind of thing? Um, I mean, Oladipo, I guess, depending on how healthy he is, like that was such a major injury that it might be um, a little harder for him to recover to his full strength. But he's going to be pretty big, I would say, for the Pacers. Um, but yeah, like it's hard to beat Siakam. Just I would say he's even taken a step above Oladipo this year, and he's pretty much the third or fourth best player in the East behind like Giannis and Bead, maybe Jimmy Butler. So he's a huge part of the. He's just a huge addition to get, and to get him with those other guys is just um, is crucial. And it almost yeah, it makes me think like obviously we talked last week about. Um, the Raptors looking to trade for someone and maybe acquiring a minor piece, but just getting everyone back to full health, I think is a bigger addition than that. And, um, and getting Siakam back, especially if he's 100% and it, hopefully his injury wasn't too major. I think that would be huge for them. So we're not necessarily sure whether he's going to be coming back within this week or if they're going to wait a little bit since the schedule is <laughs> is lighter. And they did have uh, four days off in between games from Wednesday until tomorrow's game Sunday. Um, 
they'll probably play it safe with a guy like Siakam and the way that the guys have played. And we're going to talk about Terrence Davis later, but you know how he had a big game and was able to step up and how not just him, but everybody on the team. You mentioned McCaw earlier. He's been able to step up. Abaka stepped up uh, in in um, Gasol's place and as in the starting role. Boucher stepped up. Hollis Jefferson has stepped up. We can go through the whole roster, which I basically just did, um, and say <laughs> you know everyone has played well and and they've had their moments and they've had games where they've been, if not the best player on the court, one of the best players on the court on either defense or offense. And that's such an important thing to do for this Toronto Raptors team and to continue. Hopefully that can continue and the confidence is up when these guys come back that even if a Terrence Davis isn't going to only get eight to 10 minutes a night when everyone is fully healthy or Ibaka's role is decreased or Boucher, the minutes that they do play will be as good as the minutes that they've been playing now. And, and, you know, it's obviously you can't look like that because a lot of the time, you know, if your role decreases, maybe your confidence wanes. And when that happens, your play starts to go and it's just a downward spiral from there potentially. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, but it does seem like these guys on the Toronto Raptors are kind of built different and they don't necessarily need that, uh, uh, they don't need that kind of confirmation from the coach or from the the starting lineup and whatnot to really get themselves going. Yeah, it's just kind of a tough group and um, and also just really res- resilient. Um, they've all kind of had down moments, I feel like. Like Hollis Jefferson was not playing to start the season after his injury and um terrence davis obviously the big thing um (laughs) after that portland game was nick nurse kind of calling him out and saying like he played eight minutes he probably should have played less because he's playing so bad lately and we saw on the flip side him starting and playing fantastic in charlotte probably the best game of his young career so um all these guys have kind of had um rough stretches um injuries for various guys like even matt thomas and mccall both had injuries and they've kind of bounced back and are really um a lot of them are really thriving right now just these role players and that's really um i think it speaks to just their confidence and their kind of um assurance in their own game and knowing that knowing their own abilities and that's a really good thing to have because you need to be confident in order to succeed in NBA. So when everyone is back and healthy, who, like, are you going to, as a Raptors fan, are you looking at this team and saying, you know what, we might as well stretch the rotation to 10, 11, 12 guys maybe because, you know, there's 12 guys on the team who contribute five plus points per game when they're out on the floor. And that's saying something for a team like that. There's a lot of contributors, a lot of players who can play minutes. And obviously those numbers are up because they're getting more minutes now. And, and not all 12 guys are playing. Not all 12 guys are getting five points a night every single every single game. But when you look at the team, are you thinking, okay, when all these guys are back and healthy, we can stretch this to a 12-man rotation? Or do you want Nick Nurse to kind of be that cutthroat like he was at the beginning of the season and keep it to nine, ten guys in regular season games. Um, I'd be surprised if they played twelve. That's just like that's so unusual for a team to do to go that far. But definitely, I, I think they'd have room for ten, um, and at least like playing. I mean, maybe eleven or if you're playing guys like a, just a couple minutes. But that's kind of hard to get in their rhythm at that point. Um, but yeah, I. Like they should be cutting Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry's minutes back. 
And I think that opens up some room for McCaw and Davis um, kind of playing in the guard spots. But I do think probably one or two of the of that whole 12-man group is getting phased out. And I don't know. I think it might be O'Shea Brissett just because he's a two-way player. So um, so they're already they've already used quite a few of his NBA days. And it's unclear whether they're going to sign him um, to a guaranteed contract. And I think they should, but it's hard to tell sometimes with those two-way contracts being iffy. And, um, and I don't think Stanley Johnson will be part of the rotation. I think Matt Thomas might be someone that you use in kind of a matchup-based situation, like, like that zone, like that game against Miami where they're playing zone and you just can't get a shot going from your better shooter. So a guy like that you can plug and play. But I don't think um, all 12 will be playing every night. I think probably more like 10. But that's still an upgrade over like opening night when eight guys were playing. So <laughs> it's still a deeper rotation now than it was earlier in the season, which is encouraging regardless. And they're still not immune from having more injuries. Hopefully not. But it's still got to be a realistic um, part of their thinking there. Yeah, I think I think that's what they'll do. They'll probably Nick Nurse will probably cut it down to about ten guys, and then in some of those games, as I mentioned, they're playing some weak teams. Uh, they'll probably let the if you know they do uh, give Oshiba set some games, get get him in there against maybe a, a Bulls team or you know Stanley Johnson, try to get his confidence up and give him some more minutes against I don't know the Washington Wizards or something like that, and and. For the most part, when they're playing the teams like the Bucks and and the Pacers and the Nets and what the and and those kind of teams, they'll probably keep it to a shorter rotation as you'd expect when playing the better teams. Have your best guys out there as much as possible. We'll put a Don't plug put in the that. Nets in there. Yeah. Nets in there. <laughs> okay, not the, the Nets. Nets. Fair enough. Can Fair we enough. talk about the Nets? The Nets are not good. Like they're they were good. favored. They were favored by Vegas against the Raptors. It was like I, minus. I, Minus one thirty or minus, something like I was. I so I, I was, bet I bet on it when it was, uh, when the Raptors were like to bet on the Raptors was, was a plus was a plus one fifty. So yeah. I bet I bet before the game and mm-hmm. so I put two hundred dollars down on it because I was like, there's no way they're <laughs> losing. Yeah, it was a he was yeah. ridiculous. It was the stupidest thing I've ever done, but I made three hundred bucks off it. So like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> as yeah. stupid as I it mean, was, it was. It, yeah. I mean, they could have lost the game, but like they were, they were shooting terribly and were still like in the game at halftime. And all they really needed was to get a few shots going from Lowry and Beverly. But they're, the Nets were favored against the Heat last night, and I mean, I guess they won, so that it's not like totally wrong. Or they weren't favored, but they were like it was almost even money. And I just, I just don't see it. Like they're not very good. They have good guards and Dinwiddie and Levert, but they're not in that upper tier of the East. And I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll edit the Nets out of that conversation, <laughs> out of that list of teams that I just put in there. You talked me. Into it. Um. But yeah, right. like they're gonna have, uh, you know, against the Back top, to the- <laughs> top tier teams, they'll be good. Back to the program. Yeah. So we'll put a plug in on that one. Um. And we talked about this last week, the all-star voting. Not a whole lot has changed in terms of where Pascal Siakam lays. He's still third. Kyle Lowry jumped up a little bit. We don't need to talk about it a whole lot just because we did a big conversation on that last week. But Pascal Siakam, million votes, 1.7 million votes, just behind Joel Embiid, way behind Giannis, who's 
far and ahead leading the Eastern Conference front court. And then, like I said, Kyle Lowry, sixth, 567 votes behind Zach Levine and Derrick Rose and Trey Young and Kyrie Irving. So I think the the coaches and and players are probably going to give him a little bit more love than than the fans have given him thus far. But, you know, Pascal Siakam's essentially a lock right now to be a front court starter. The only one who really looks like he's going to be able to catch him is Jimmy Butler. And uh, he's still three hundred thousand votes behind. And Pascal is looking like he might even be able to leapfrog over Joel Embiid at some point. But, you know, that's all-star voting doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. So we probably won't spend a whole lot of time talking about that throughout this season. Moving on, however, Fred Van Fleet has been targeted by the Detroit Pistons as someone that they want to go for in the offseason. Should Raptors fans be worried? Are you worried? Is there any anything that you think that Detroit has over Toronto in terms of bringing him in instead of saying a Raptor? Um, I mean, the only thing that they could really have is just offering more money. Like, you don't... I assume he doesn't want to live in Detroit that badly. Um, there's no upside for the team. Blake Griffin's on a big contract and has chronic injuries. Um, Andre Drummond appears to be on the way out. They don't really have anything going for them, per se. Um, they're just... Um, they're obviously... The appeal for them is they're a middling franchise and they can get a really good young point guard. But I would assume they just throw a lot of money his way. Um, something like what Malcolm Brogdon got, or maybe even more than that, uh, which was two, four years, 84 million. So it's really just about the Raptors, if the Raptors will match um, whatever offer they give, like if they'll give a, a competitive offer because the Raptors have obviously helped him build his career. It's a good system. Um, they've been just winning like people are starting to compare them to the Spurs almost because of how they can win despite injuries and they can kind of sustain um, no matter who's in the lineup so I think that's a really good environment for point guard to grow in Kyle Lowry's kind of getting older so Van Vliet presumably has the starting spot lined up for him if he wants it and um, yeah it would just it would surprise me if Van Vliet wanted to go uh, wanted to leave all that unless he's just getting a ridiculous offer, which I understand if he wants more money. Yeah, and like, to me, there's no way you should go to Detroit. No matter what, you're going to be second fiddle to Blake Griffin in terms of, you know, he's going to be making more money than you with his huge contract. He's When he's healthy, he's going to be the best player on the floor. So you're going to be the de facto number two, if not three, if Drummond is still there because for some reason people just love Andre Drummond in Detroit. <laughs> but then if if Blake Griffin's not there, if Andre Drummond does end up get traded, end up getting traded and if Blake Griffin's injured, then it's just you with a bunch of rat players and you can basically be five team, you know, the the other team can throw the whole defense at you and you know, you're still going to lose yeah, the game. It's, so it's a lose-lose. Yeah, there's I like <laughs> Of course, Detroit's interested in getting Fred Van Fleet. I I would be too if I was Detroit. I would be interested if I'm 
29 other teams in the league if you can get Fred Van Fleet on a good contract, which, you know what, he's earned his money and he's made it. But I do think that, like, the way that he is, his whole bet-on-yourself mentality, <laughs> you're not betting on yourself if you go to Detroit, Fred Van Fleet. And I think, <laughs> I think he knows that. And, like, as much credence as this has and as, as legit as this report is like i don't doubt that detroit's there there i don't think they're going to be a player for him in free agency but as the raptors Lior, if you were management do you look at giving fred van fleet a i don't know a three-year four-year contract to try to keep him around as like you mentioned larry kind of fades out into the into the end of his career and the twilight of his prime to keep him around and maybe uh kind of ruin that 2021 free agency or do you do you maybe think about letting him go or god forbid trade him before the trade deadline comes up if you hear that maybe he will be looking for you know 25 30 million dollars from teams in the offseason um i think you have to just throw like basically whatever you can at him like i think um i mean i guess it depends how far that contract's gonna go but i think you throw a lot of money at him like at least what brogdon got um i think is a good comparison for him but the only like the only major contract the raptors have on the books this uh after 2021 is norman powell's one year after that um for 11.6 million and i think with the way powell played before his injury that's a really tradable contract so if you really want that space for like two max guys let's say in 2021 which is even pushing it considering toronto's free agency history but if they're if we're assuming they could win they could um get at least one like having only fred van vliet on the books um would be would still leave plenty of space and i think um and i think that's doable i think that's realistic um and i just think I think Van Vliet is at least worth like somewhere in that 20 million range. We saw guys like Terry Rozier and Rubio get 18 million or so, which you can say is an overpay, but everyone's kind of getting um, money like that. And Van Vliet's a really good player. Um, he, he was a key guy on a championship team. And I think he's shown a lot this year. Just I didn't really think he had it in him to be this good of a creator and this good finishing at the rim. And I think he improved those skills that much that he's kind of showing he can be a starter and and he's going to command starter money. So I get it. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like you, you should throw the bag at him. And if if there is one player to trade in terms of the guards, I said this on last week's podcast, it's probably going to be Kyle Lowry rather than Fred Van Fleet, just based on age. You know, they essentially play like the same player i think kyle lowry has a slight edge defensively but you know they're not that much different on the offensive end i think kyle lowry's iq is there but that will also come with age in terms of uh fred van fleet learning the floor better and and learning from a guy like kyle lowry and learning his teammates and and pascal siakam and whoever else norm powell you mentioned and whoever else kind of comes and comes and goes for this team but you know masai is smart enough to understand uh you know what what's going on not only with his team yeah. but like the landscape of the league as well yeah and i mean i mean obviously i um i didn't factor in siakam's extension which yeah. is a big deal <laughs> so that's another max contract on the books but it still leaves them with room for one max guy i think uh between whatever fred gets and pascal and i think 
a big thing of signing a max player is there has to be some kind of foundation for them to go to. And Siakam's obviously a great start, but I think Fred Van Vliet has proven himself um, to be such a quality player that you've already, having those two foundational guys, that would be a big, um, attractive kind of destination to go with the infrastructure, the coaching. And then you've also got um, uh, just a really solid foundation of players and yeah and i think it makes sense to try to keep that core together and they're also only 25 26 years old in siakam and then van vliet similar a little younger than him and if you were to you know if you were given only you can only keep one of these two players and that's probably what it is going to end up being between lowry and van vliet um which one are you leaning towards i mean it's tough for me because I just love Lowry and I almost think it doesn't have to be a choice. I think maybe Lowry takes a discount or something. Um, I think he would want to finish his career here. Like his kids have grown up here and it kind of makes sense for him. Um, but if you have to choose, um, like you almost want to say it has to be Van Vliet just because of the direction the team's going and the cold-blooded kind of nature of Masai sometimes with how he wants to operate and just look for what's best for the team. But I don't, I don't think it will come down to that. I think they can keep Lowry and kind of just, just ease into this transition. I mean, it's not, it's not like the cleanest thing to have two six-foot-tall point guards, but like they're obviously very smart players, like you said, and they've done really well together this year and i think you could find a way to ease into that and i think lowry's game will age well just the way with his elite shooting and being a really physical player i think that helps as a point guard yes i i absolutely agree i mean uh you don't want to have to get rid of one but if you're if you're seeing both these guys kind of demanding uh 25 to 30 million i think lowry uh after that 30 million extension from the raptors that was more of a move in and you know kind of giving him the bag just because we know that uh that 2021 is so important for the raptors the free agency class there and just being able to pay him one more year was so important just to show hey man thanks for thanks for what you've done for this organization no matter what happens whether you're not on the raptors next season whether you're not on the raptors in the future we know you're at least going to be getting that 30 million dollars so it's kind of a sign of good faith and you know we 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 appreciate you. We love you as a as a organization, and and you know MLSC. We love you. The Raptors organization, Masai, Nick Nurse, everybody kind of you know loves Kyle Lowry. And if uh, <laughs> if it's um if it's between those two, I mean it's a it's a really tough decision because it'll be one of those things again where it's like oh you traded a fan favorite uh, in terms of Masai Ujiri, but I guess fans will probably understand better now because of how the last trading of a fan favorite went championship so <laughs> yeah i don't know if you can, and, i don't know if you can get Kawhi leonard again no. for kyle lowry but <laughs> yeah i don't think I, it's not quite the same because you're not gonna get like such value out of him but i i think probably if i had to predict it um i'd probably disagree like i don't think they're gonna trade him i think they'll keep all they'll find a way to keep both and kind of um maybe lowry like you said like they gave him the bag already so maybe he takes a little less or I think they'll find a way to work it out. But I don't think it's crazy to suggest that um, that he's still on the table and 
it, if there's anything you jury um, sees that's just a really good trade for him, then they will. But we'll see. And I don't think um, I going back to the Van Vliet question. I don't think they'll be too concerned with a team like Detroit. Um, and most of the teams that do have cap space are really bad teams this summer, which plays in Toronto's favor. And and I think another thing to consider is a lot of a lot of teams do have uh, you know promising young guards. So maybe getting a, a Van Fleet in there and a lot of the teams with cap space I'm talking about have a lot of like kind of promising yeah, young guards or like Memphis, Atlanta. Yeah. So like team. those teams probably aren't going to look for a starting caliber point guard to throw a bunch of money at just to say that they have a guy who got one finals MVP vote. Like that's <laughs> probably not going to happen because you're not going to put Van Fleet in front of John Moran and, and playing them together doesn't really make sense because they're so ball dominant. Both of them, despite both being able to play off ball re- uh, relatively well. And like same with Trey Young in Atlanta, you're not going to throw a bunch of money at a guy who's just going to take the ball out of his hands because that just doesn't make sense. And, you know, it might stunt the development and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not exactly worried about Van Fleet leaving. Uh, there's going to be a big market just because there's not a huge class coming out after this, uh, like the free agent class this off season. So we'll see how that ends up. Uh, that'll end the conversation here for the news portion. Went a little long there, but we'll be back for the on-court stuff in just a moment. So as we mentioned on last week's podcast and the beginning of this one, the Raptors had a weird schedule this week. They played just Tuesday and Wednesday back-to-back against the Portland Trailblazers and the Charlotte Hornets. They lost to Portland in that first game on a mellow game winner which was actually kind of interesting to watch and then they won in overtime against the charlotte hornets the very next night so lior we both said that they were going to go 2-0 this week and that it was probably going to be a big win against charlotte and a you know a, a a pretty impressive game against portland neither of which happened an ot win obviously against charlotte is not a close win or a, a big win, and a loss to Portland is not a win. So to you, it's hard to say any of these games are disappointing because of the injuries, but which game to you was more disappointing out of those two? Oh, definitely Portland. I mean, even if um, even if they lost the Charlotte game, like Devontae Graham had the chance for the game winner or, or Rozier in overtime, like I still think they just they were on the second night of a back-to-back. I think it's almost more understandable regardless of the injuries versus the portland game they outplayed them for pretty much the first three quarters and then just some poor decision making poor execution down the stretch um kind of puzzling choices by nick nurse which we avoid not to question him but he can still make mistakes and i think um just all of that kind of combined for a really disappointing blown lead like they had I think a 10 point lead going or early in the fourth and it just was not it was really bad defense down the stretch and poor offensive execution so that's my pick how about you yeah I agree um like I said neither were exactly uh <laughs> impressive games but the Raptors down the stretch were just really, really, really bad in Portland, and and especially Kyle Lowry, uh, really bad, um, kind of yeah, end of I game mean, there. 
yeah to excuse lowry like which <laughs> which is kind of obviously i'm biased here because i love lowry um like i said <laughs> on this podcast but i i would just say they were i think they were trapping him down the stretch um i'm not sure was that the charlotte game or the portland or maybe both but they were taking the ball out of his hands and he has just with them bleed out now you've got basically no other good creators on the floor and like i don't know what else he's supposed to do really when that's happening like there's no there's no like great offensive option besides Lowry. Like you don't have a single guy who can really create his own shot at a high level. And that's why you're kind of seeing Terrence Davis was so good in that Charlotte game because he's kind of the second best perimeter creator they have. Um, they have healthy. And then even McCaw was doing a great job with like, I think he had 10 assists in the Charlotte game. And that's because they really just needed someone or he had 11 assists. They really just needed someone else to create shots. And that's kind of what happened. Obviously, Lowry wasn't good either. And he was um, he took some bad shots. But I think part of that is fatigue. And part of that is just not having um, anyone to help him out. But yeah, playing him playing 38 and then 43 minutes on a back to back (laughs) is just insane. And uh and that's obviously another benefit of getting guys back healthy, like we talked about. Yeah, and and the Raptors in this one were up 97-91 with two minutes, four seconds left, and then up 99-94 with 125 left, and then ended up losing that yeah. one, which, you know, not exactly an impressive thing. One thing that I will point out, however, that I think is, you know, I didn't see a lot of love for it too much after the game, just probably because they did end up losing, and and obviously the big Carmelo Anthony shot, which kind of took everything over. But Rondé Hollis Jefferson's uh, jump ball against Hassan Whiteside was one of the more impressive parts of that game. It, with you know, I think it was like 30 seconds or so left in the game, and it was just like I thought. I was like I was watching the the game with my girlfriend's brother. And we both were just like, all right, well, Hassan Whiteside's going to win this for sure. And <laughs> Portland's just going to come down and Dame's going to hit a three or something like that. And then all of a sudden, Hollis Jefferson comes up and jumps. It felt like like 50 inches of vertical <laughs> there and just ended up winning it, which was absolutely and, crazy yeah. to me. And late in the game, too, it's really tough to get your legs under you like that. And uh, credit to RHJ for that. Yeah, um, that was that was fun to watch. Yeah, and I think there were some positives we could take from it. Like, I thought O'Shea Brissett was fantastic in that Portland game. And um, and I think he guarded McCollum for a stretch, if I'm yeah. not remembering wrong. Yeah, and he did a really good job there. Um, and we've kind of seen him a few times now, like with Tatum, with McCollum. Um, just really impressive defense on the perimeter. And then he's also a really good rebounder inside. So I think that was a positive. And... Chris Boucher had a great stretch there. He didn't play a lot, but he just had that fourth quarter. He was basically carrying that really, really bad offensive bench unit. Um, and and that was kind of where I was surprised, where I don't know why he didn't play down the stretch and kind of just ride the hot end. You don't have many good offensive options. So I kind of, um, do you have any thoughts on uh, Nurse's reasoning for that one? Uh, I, you know, I think he was probably just going with the matchup there because having a guy like Whiteside, despite putting in, you know, negative effort pretty much throughout every single game, <laughs> he's still, he's still a massive body and 
you know, him on yeah. the boards and, and him in the block, like him going up against Chris Boucher, he might as well be going up against me, right? Like we're probably <laughs> in the same weight class. And so like, that's oh, probably, yeah. his, that's probably what he was thinking because Ibaka is the bigger guy, better rebounder. He's able to stretch white side a little bit for like, well, they kind of stretch the same amount, but like yeah. he can do a little bit more damage. And, and even if it's just to fatigue Hassan white side out there, that's, that's what I think Nick Nurse was yeah. was going for. Yeah, I think Ivanka did a good job. I just I almost would have gone with both of them and just play Boucher at the four. Um, maybe stick someone else on Carmelo and just hide Boucher maybe on I don't remember who the Blazers rolled with to end the game, maybe Simons. Um, but they started Baysmore and he was just a non factor. So if it's <laughs> Baysmore or Simons, I think you can live with Boucher on them. And if they're gonna ISO those guys on him instead of giving it to Lillard or Carmelo, then go ahead, right? Yeah, that's probably um, better. But yeah. but yeah, it's easy to say in retrospect. And I get if Nurse was just thinking about the white side matchup. And I don't think it's um I don't think you can really put that entire loss on him. I think a lot of it was just um, some mental mistakes. Um, Carmelo got like a few of those, like the corner three he had, and a couple of those other ones were just way too open. And um, and I think the defense is kind of what let Portland back in the game, and then the offense is obviously very noticeable at the end. Um, but yeah, uh, anything else you wanted to talk about with that one? Uh, no, just just wanted to mention that like BS uh, offensive foul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the like screen. that was yeah, bad. that was bad. It, just because the ref was right there, right? So like that kind of that kind of comes into why this was like the more disappointing game, just because like that was such a big momentum changer that yeah. like and, anytime yeah, any player, game, right? yeah, yeah, and like anytime any player hits a three pointer from like thirty five feet or whatever it was from the logo, <laughs> like it's just gonna, especially to tie the game, like it's gonna it's gonna hurt the team. Yeah. And, team's confidence and, and i don't know if i don't know if anyone makes this argument but i've definitely heard like oh people or refs swallow the whistle they don't call offensive fouls in the final minute of the game but we literally saw in game two of the finals <laughs> last year um demarcus cousins sets an obvious illegal screen and they called it on the final possession or the second to last possession and like that's the blatant call that basically Freeze up Lillard um, when you're going over the screen, and he just hip checks and moves on um, on whoever's guarding him, and and you're basically giving up an open three. So, like, you have to call that right in front of the ref. Like, that's a big call, and that's a big swing there. Obviously, tying the game. So, like, I don't I don't blame people for being upset, but yeah, as we talked about, there are other factors too. So now we'll move on to that uh, Charlotte Hornets game, which I'm actually glad we didn't talk much about because this one, uh, we're not necessarily going to talk about the game as a whole, but more of Terrence Davis, uh, his game against the Charlotte Hornets. It was his first time starting as an NBA player, and he had a great game. 23 points, 50% from the field, 50% from three, 11 rebounds, 10 defensive rebounds. He was all over the place, played game high 37 minutes which is absolutely insane but the big thing that kind of came from that was how Nick Nurse called him out the night before in that Portland game basically saying he uh he played he, play, he shouldn't have played at all he was horrible and he called him out in, <laughs> in front of the media I'm sure he said it to his face as well but Terrence Davis I don't know if you can call it a a revenge game when it's against your own coach 
but like that's kind of <laughs> what it was. Um, but for Terrence Davis, like, is this is he the next Raptors diamond in the rough? Like, do you see him maybe eventually turning into one of these really solid role players that the Raptors have been able to find? Uh, whether it's undrafting uh, and just signing them after the draft or picking them up late in the second round or first round. Oh, absolutely, and. We saw his skills kind of in preseason and even summer league. Like, you don't want to look too much into the stats, but, like, he showed his skills. He showed that he can hit threes. He showed he has that pump fake off the dribble, can create plays. Um, And then I was pretty confident in him being a rotation guy coming into the season. And even opening night, he played pretty well. He played, like, 15 minutes, but he showed he can play and he can hang in an NBA rotation. So I really believe in Davis as a rotation guy. Um, I'm a little like I had him. I said he could get he could be the starting two by the end of the season. Um, Early in the season, I said that. And I don't really think that now because Powell just played so well. And Lowry and Van Vliet proved that that should kind of be the starting backcourt because Van Vliet is just too good to come off the bench now. But Davis certainly has shown a lot. And. He's shown he can be a rotation guy. He's shooting really well from three, which is a huge thing for the Raps, just based on other guys struggling sometimes. OG has been in kind of a shooting slump until the Charlotte game. And I think Davis makes a lot of sense for them. And he kind of has um, he has the athleticism and the length to kind of be a good defensive player, even if he isn't yet. So you kind of get a guy who can do a little bit of everything. And even if it's just 15, 20 minutes off the bench for now, I think he's definitely um, a really good pickup as an undrafted rookie. That's huge. And he'll grow and he's still young. So he's got a lot of potential to improve in future years. And one of the best things about Terrence Davis is you can tell that he's really bought in to not only being a, a contributor for the Toronto Raptors, because a lot of people would buy into that, but also just like buying in as a whole to the system and to his teammates and to the the hard lifestyle that it is an NBA game. And you see a lot of players in the NBA, especially young players who are really good at one end of the floor and, you know, trash on defense or vice versa, really good defensively, but like can't hit a shot to save their lives. And Terrence Davis doesn't necessarily stand out per se on either end of the floor. I think he's a, a better defensive player than he is offensively right now, but you can see the the tools are there and, and the raw talent is there. And especially with fourth year players coming out of college and they're so used to the college game and the college systems. And, and I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say is like he, he fits in to an NBA rotation so well as a first year player who was a four year uh, four-year college player then he went undrafted he's kind of got that work hard mentality where it's like I know I'm being doubted right now because a I didn't get drafted b I wasn't a number one recruit coming out of high school c you know people weren't giving me Jordans every other game playing in AAU or maybe they were but you didn't hear about <laughs> it right <laughs> you didn't yeah. hear about it so it, I think a combination of all those com- like and and coming together with this group of Raptors where Pascal Siakam was one of those guys who was kind of doubted when he got drafted. The Raptors were given horrible uh, draft grade by just about every NBA outlet that there is. <laughs> Fred Van Fleet undrafted. Norm Powell, second rounder. OG Ananobi, obviously he was, a, he was highly touted coming out of 
college, but the injury set him back to to drop to the Toronto Raptors. So being surrounded by all these guys that you know have been doubted throughout pretty much their whole career and and not having a real a real star player per se on the team uh, throughout their whole career is is a really good combination to add with this guy. And it probably makes him play even harder. And the biggest thing going forward for Terrence Davis, as you would expect for just about any rookie, is just consistency, right? You know, there's games yeah. where he goes, he puts up 19 points, and then the next game it's five, or he puts up 19 points and the next game is six, or, or 15 and the next game is two. So once he can find his his footing and the consistency and once he gets into a rhythm of of the NBA schedule and all that kind of stuff, it, it will be a different story for Terrence Davis. And I think for right now, he's got all the tools to become one of those, you know, quote unquote, diamonds in the rough just because he works hard. He he is always an energy guy. He doesn't he doesn't take plays off. And that's kind of like what you saw with with Pascal Siakam and OG Anobi and Fred Van Fleet. And I'm not saying he's going to necessarily become one of those guys, but you know, in the first 30 something games of his career, he's looking like he's going to be on track to be someone like that. Yeah, he brings it. And like you said about the consistency, obviously that's an issue. And a lot of rookies have that um, kind of thing where they're just up and down and not, um, and not really giving the same um, production every night, even if he's playing hard every night. But I think part of that is just his role has shifted a lot, and that's been due to the injuries with all these guys in and, in and out of the lineup. He doesn't know if he's going to be playing with McCaw off the bench um, in kind of a two-guard lineup, or if he's going to be kind of the main ball handler, or if they're going to stagger Lowry and Van Fleet because both of them are healthy. And then he can play with one of those guys, make his life a lot easier. So I think finding, um, having everyone healthy and having a consistent role where he knows what he's going to be asked to do and who he's going to play with, I think that would help a lot. Um, but like you said, he has the talent for it and he brings that effort every night. And I think another thing is just the confidence to not, um, to not get down after something like Nurse's comments. Um, I think Nurse would not have made those comments, especially publicly, if he didn't think that Davis would take it as a challenge or if he didn't think Davis could handle the criticism. And obviously Davis was not a, afraid of the criticism at all. And he responded really well. And he just played fantastic against Charlotte. And I and even when he's not getting that many minutes, he still looks confident. He still looks um, like he doesn't hesitate to take his threes. Whereas like a guy like OG sometimes even hesitates and kind of doesn't um, kind of doesn't like have that trust to always um, just fire away with confidence. So it's good to see Davis getting opportunities like that. And yeah, I think he'll keep it up if he finds that role where he's kind of where he knows what he's asked to do every night. Absolutely. And to me, some credit does have to be given to Nick Nurse for for calling him out because, like you said, not every player would respond well to that. Some would shrug it off and, and be, oh, I hate Nick Nurse. I hate this coach. But Nick Nurse, knowing his players and, and knowing how they'll respond to certain things. And obviously, obviously, he Terrence Davis responded perfectly as as well as you could imagine in a situation like this and I'm sure he came up to him uh either during travel or before the game saying hey coach listen you you're gonna call me out let me 
let me put, you know, let me see if I can do this and, and let me put my money where my mouth is and, and show you that I can, I can really be a contributor for this team. And, and I, that says something not only about Nick nurse for, for trusting his guy to be able to go out there and not, you know, worry about ruining a team chemistry or something like that, but also something about Terrence Davis being that guy saying, you know what, you, you called me out, you gave me that. I'm going to show you what I can do and, and see how much, see how much you're going to say that after this game. So it was a, you know, props to both the guys for that. Yeah, no question. So lastly, we're going to talk quickly about DeMar DeRozan coming back to the Toronto Raptors home court as the Scotiabank Arena now. Sunday, Sunday night, he's going to be coming back, playing his second time back. I will be at the game on Sunday night. We're recording this Saturday afternoon, so obviously the game hasn't happened yet. But, Lior, do you think that he gets the same type of response? Obviously, it's not going to be as grand and, and robust and, and, you know, theatrical as it was last season but you know the return of DeMar DeRozan is always going to be emotional for the Raptors fan base right yeah I think it will be like a similar thing I don't think um I don't think we'll be surprised by any of the reception I think people will just give him love because people still love DeMar for a reason for a good reason I yeah I agree um you think the you think the um you think he's going to get another tribute video or is that just a one-time thing? Cause I think Lou um, will, Lou will got one this year, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think they would, I think they'll do it because they've been doing the 25th anniversary stuff. And I mean, right. like, like if Lou Williams is getting one for that one year, <laughs> that kind of, I mean, it wasn't even one year. It was like four months and then two months he was terrible. And like, so I think, I think he'll get something nice and, um, and yeah, the reception will be nice, and it will be cool to have him back. And even Pirtle, maybe they do something for Pirtle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's not going to be the same, but I do think that fans, you know, maybe if they weren't there for last year's game, uh, maybe they weren't able to get tickets. Maybe it's too expensive. Uh, I think there, yeah. there's going to be a. I think there's going to be a big, a big ovation at some point. He's probably going to get one of his patented introductions by uh by the guy who gives out the the starting lineups and stuff so he's probably yeah. gonna get a lot of love there and during the Herbie. first time out yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and then whenever whenever he gets uh whenever he gets checked into the game i'm sure he's gonna get a lot of love so you know demar de and he's hot right now he's playing really really well and he's leading yeah, the Spurs. They've been winning some games yeah I mean, they lost to memphis last night but they're still in the playoff race so um credit to him and we've also got so Pirtle, Marco Bellinelli, and Rudy Gay. Any Huge, Raptors <laughs> Huge Raptors reunion. Huge Raptors reunion. Alright, so that'll be it for our Encore stuff, and we'll be back in just a moment to give our predictions for this week. So we're back, and we are going to do our predictions for this upcoming week. Sunday, January 12th, as I mentioned, tomorrow night, San Antonio Spurs are coming to Toronto. On Wednesday, they've got another two days off. They're going to be in Oklahoma City playing the Thunder. Friday, they're playing the Washington Wizards. And if you want to throw in Minnesota Timberwolves, because we might have a podcast Sunday instead of Saturday, but we'll see what happens. So we'll do those four teams. How do you think the Raptors fared this week? Um, I guess I'll go, I'll go three and one. Just to be safe, let's go three and one. I think they beat the Spurs, 
Wizards and Timberwolves. Um, and then the Thunder one, that's kind of a tricky one because the Raptors are the better team, but the Thunder have been on a roll lately. And let's give them that one in OKC. Uh, I'm going to think, I think they're going to go two and two, lose to San Antonio, lose to OKC. And then okay. Friday, Saturday, they're going to get two W's over some horrible teams. And hopefully Pascal Siakam will be maybe back by then, maybe back yeah. by Friday or Saturday. So think, that'll be a big yeah. addition. Yeah. And we'll see if they have that kind of adjustment period like they did when Lowry came back and they lost kind of a few games. That was against a better schedule. So. I, it's not quite the same, but um, getting a guy like Powell back, um, you have to wonder if he's going to shoot as well as he did before <laughs> his injury. And um, hopefully that helps them. But yeah, I mean, the Spurs have played well. We'll see. I don't think um, I don't think they're as good as they were the last week or so with beating Milwaukee and Boston. But uh, but they'll compete and definitely wouldn't be shocked to see them win. Which of these games are you looking forward to most um i'll go with the thunder game i really like this thunder team they're kind of like i never really liked the thunder with westbrook i just it wasn't (laughs) an enjoyable thing for me to watch like the one guy with ridiculous usage just racking up stats and um they were okay but like even with george i just didn't like their style a whole lot and chris ball has made them really fun um shay Gilgis Alexander, obviously from um, Hamilton. That's a fun storyline with him playing really well. And uh, yeah, they're just kind of an interesting team to watch. How about you? Yeah, I think OKC. Uh, yeah, well, like OKC. for me, the Spurs game, because I'm going to be there. Um, there, yeah. Yeah, so like that that kind of trumps all. And also like the DeRozan return and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, the OKC game is going to be really fun to watch just because two good teams going at it, and especially with OKC on a roll and, and Chris Paul playing so well. And, and you can really see the stark difference, like you mentioned, of how like the Westbrook team versus the Chris Paul team has are really different teams and, and like everyone really on the same page and playing playing together. Um, so I think they're probably going to, that's going to be a good game. And, and the crowd in OKC is always fantastic. So that'll be dope. But yeah, I'm going to have to go with the San Antonio Spurs game just because I'm going to, yeah, going to be there. So, so yeah, that'll that be, be. Yeah. yeah. So, so that'll be it for the podcast today. As always go subscribe, rate, review, do everything. It really helps us out. Go to raptorsrapture.com whenever you can. You can see game reviews, uh, you know, grades for the players, takeaways, all that kind of stuff for every single Toronto Raptors game to go along with the opinion pieces, analysis, all that kind of fun stuff from our great writing crew here at the Raptors Rapture. Lior, where can people find you on Twitter? It's at Lior Kozai, L-I-O-R-K-O-Z-A-I. Yeah, I have a piece coming out possibly tomorrow on... um, Kind of some of the stuff we talked about with the Raptors just being a really resilient team and Kyle Lowry's minutes workload that maybe they need to slow down a little bit. But yeah, I'm I'm just really enjoying this Raptors season. And it's been, I think, one of the most likable teams they've had, even including the championship team. So yes, I'm sure that piece is going to be great. Lior, always a great read. Um, and you can follow me at Twitter on Twitter at H underscore surplus. You'll see the Twitter in the Raptors Rapture tweet, my tweet, whatever you guys are doing. Thank you so much for listening. And as always go Raptors.